0: Pray together. Breath of heaven, how we need you to pour yourself over us now. We need you to open our hearts to your truth, to your word, that we might be changed, that we might be able to approach this Christmas season not consumed with the busyness and distractions, but rather as worshipful servants of yours. Teach us, Lord, from your word now. Help us to worship you in it. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. How many of you have remodeled a house while while living in it? Can I see a show of hands? Quite a few of you. You poor souls. (laughs) We lived in a uh, small house in Moscow for several years, and decided while we were there to remodel the kitchen and the only bathroom. We lived in chaos for a while. And it strikes me as I think about the Lord and how He works in our lives that He likes to do that. He likes to remodel our lives. We invite Him in to do a little interior decorating, maybe move a little furniture, and He starts ripping out walls ripping out fixtures, tearing the roof off so the rain can get in. He has a way of doing that in our lives when he moves in to accomplish his purposes. And this season, as we celebrate Christmas, perhaps the greatest remodeling or the greatest disruption that ever happened is what we celebrate You realize how profound it is that God Himself reached down and ripped the roof off of earth, so to speak, stepped down and became one of us, became a tiny baby, the creator of heaven and earth, became merged in one fully human, fully God, baby child. What a disruption. That was. And the world can never be the same since that has happened. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We're all affected by it. But perhaps no one was affected more by that, more disrupted than Mary herself. Consider Mary with me for a moment. Quiet peasant girl, 14, 15, 16 years old, we don't know. She was. A teenager for sure, who was engaged to a poor carpenter. So that meant she was from a poor family. We don't know anything else about her family. We do know she was from Nazareth in Galilee, a little insignificant village in northern Israel in an insignificant country. Up in Galilee, which was the place where nobody's came from. You know, the saying. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, this was nowhere. This was a nobody. But her life was focused, apparently, on getting married to Joseph, having children, and getting on with her life, a quiet little life. But suddenly God appears to this peasant teenager in the form of an angel and says marvelous words to her. Let me read them from Luke chapter 1. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. So God comes to this peasant girl and says, you are to bear the Messiah. There will be a supernatural conception here and you are to bear the Messiah. How disruptive. Talk about ripping the roof off her life tearing out some walls. It had to be a crazy time, and she had to know that in her culture to have a child out of wedlock meant you should be stoned according to the law. Now, under the Romans, they wouldn't allow them to do that. But it meant that she would be rejected and marked with shame for the rest of her life. Her life was disrupted wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just take a peek for a moment into that mind of hers and see what she was dealing with, see what she was thinking, see what was going through her mind as this young peasant girl dealt with the news that she was to bear the Messiah, to sit down and talk with her and find out what was going on in her brain. Well, you know what? We know. Because she went to visit her relative Elizabeth who happened to be the only one who understood. Even Joseph, her fiance, didn't understand. God had to send an angel to straighten him out, so at least he'd get on board with the plan here. And as she visited Elizabeth and got confirmation from Elizabeth of what God had told her, she burst into poetry. And we have the Magnificat, it's called. That's just from the first word in the Latin translation of her poem. And so this morning, we want to look at this poem as she burst into song, into poetry, and see what she expressed in that poetry, and learn from that what she learned through the incarnation. And as we do so, we can learn perhaps what God wants us to learn from the incarnation as well. So we'll be looking at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And one thing that strikes me as we prepare to look at this is when you read her poem, it reads very much like a psalm in the Old Testament. It's steeped with Old Testament allusions, several quotes, a number of things that sound like it could be put directly into our psalm book, and it would fit perfectly. And I ask myself, how could this peasant girl know the Old Testament so well. She apparently had a thirst to know it. You see, in her society, she didn't have an Old Testament to read. She certainly didn't have the New Testament because it hadn't arrived yet. And so she couldn't even read the Old Testament. The only way she could learn it is perhaps be taught in her family by her father to go to synagogue and sit over in the women's section and children's section away from from all the men and just listen and soak it in. Perhaps hear a traveling rabbi in the marketplace, but she didn't have a lot of opportunities to learn the Old Testament. But apparently she had a thirst to learn it. And because she had a thirst to learn it, she had it in her mind, in her brain. And that allowed her, when this great disruption came and God sent the angel, to put it in a heavenly perspective. And as I read her song, her poem, I'm struck by what a heavenly perspective she has. And that should be an encouragement to all of us. Sometimes we cruise through life and we think, well, when something happens, then I'll look in the Word and I'll figure out God's perspective on it. It doesn't work that way. You see, you steep yourself in the Word and you delight yourself in it and you grow in it. You study it. You read it. You let God transform your thinking. And then when God moves in and rips a wall out, you have it in perspective. You already have God's perspective. You may not understand it completely and fully, but you're already prepared. Being a student of the Word allows you to have the right perspective when disruptions come in your life. I think Mary had the perspective of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 92, who wrote, If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. But when His word is your delight, then you're ready to walk through it with Him. Well, let's look at Mary's song, and we'll see three great truths that Mary learned from this great event. Three great truths that she clung to in the midst of the disruption of the roof being torn off for life. First comes in verse 46 through 49 where Mary sees the incarnation of proof that God loves her. Proof that God is for her. Let me read these verses. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Notice how Mary describes herself here. She says, my spirit is rejoicing in God, my Savior. Now, who needs a Savior? A sinner. (laughs) Someone who's needy. Someone who needs to be saved. She sees herself as a sinner, as someone who's needy, who needs someone to come into her life. Verse 48, he has had regard for the humble state. The word there means lowly, humiliated. You see, she was at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of society. And as a person, she considered herself lowly and a bond slave, she says. Simply just a servant, no one important. In her culture, definitely a nobody. But she says, though I'm a nobody... Verse 48, he has had regard for me. NIV translate this, he has been mindful of me. I really like this word that's used here. Because it has the idea of noticing someone or something and delighting in it. I was hunting this uh, fall with a couple of my sons. And my 12-year-old and I were coming up on this ridge and we were looking around. And all of a sudden we saw movement. And we looked, and there was a little fawn bounding up towards us. And this little fawn came to within about 20 yards of us and just stopped and just looked at us. And believe me, we took notice. (laughs) And we delighted in that. And my Jeremy, my 12-year-old, said, Oh, I wish I had a camera, because it was so beautiful. And that's part of the sense of what this word is, what it means. It's only used three times in the New Testament. One of the times is in James 2. In James 2, James is rebuking the church because he says, When you have church, when a rich person comes in, you take notice of them. You bring them up to the front, you say, Oh, are you okay? Are you comfortable? Here, you take the soft chairs. But when poor people come in, you say, "Uh, You stand in the back. You don't count. And what Mary says is that though I was lowly, though I am lowly and a sinner. You took notice of me and took delight in me and brought me to the front and cared for me. You took notice of me. You singled me out. And how did he single her out? He chose her to be the Christ-bearer, to be born within, from her womb so that she could bear Christ to the world. What a privilege! And she says, my soul exalts the Lord for this. My soul delights in you. You see, Christmas to all of us should have a similar message. It should tell us once and for all that God cares for me. No matter what's going on in my circumstances, God cares for me. If he cared enough to descend from heaven and rip the roof off of earth and become a baby... So I could know him. He cares for me personally. And secondly, if he chose you and me to be Christ bearers like Mary, you see, every one of us who receives Jesus Christ as Lord becomes the Christ bearer. Each of us have him living inside us. And Paul describes it this way. He says, this is a great mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory that He might dwell inside us, that we might bear Christ to the world. How is Jesus in the world today? In the hearts of lowly people like you and me, that He has chosen out of His grace to be the Christ-bearers like Mary. Christmas should be a reminder to you and to me, always, for all time, that He cares about me, that He might choose me, to be a Christ bearer, and so what Mary does she says, "My soul exalts the Lord. the word is magnifies to make large, to make great that 's what this word means. It reminds me of being back in earth science in ninth grade, and first time I got to look through a microscope, and you know you slide a worm under there. It's Need all the things you could see with, the, with that, or or you just sl- slide a just a slide that you can 't see anything on, and you put it under there, and you look and it opens up a whole new world that you couldn 't see with your naked eye, and yet there are all, are all these little creatures and bacteria and all kinds of things moving around a whole other world. Mary says, "My soul exalts the Lord. You see, our soul is to be the lens." that magnifies the Lord. This whole heavenly realm is all around us where He dwells. He is here, but you can't see Him. How are people to see Him? Through us, as we magnify Him. Through us, they catch a glimpse of the invisible realm all around us. Through us, they see that other world. As they see how He works in our lives, as they see us praising Him and trusting Him and finding life in Him in the midst of death. So let your soul be the lens that makes great that makes large the Lord in this world. Praise makes him visible. And Mary says, "My soul exalts, magnifies the Lord." So first of all, Mary's learned from the incarnation, from Christmas, that God cared for her. Secondly, she learned that the incarnation is proof forever that God's mercy is upon the lowly. She says, I'm lowly. God cared for me. He must have a special heart for the lowly. Let's read those verses, verses 50 through 53. She says, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. And what are the mighty deeds? He scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. The incarnation taught Mary that God's mercy reaches down to the lowly, not up. When he ripped the roof off of earth to become one of us, he proved forever that he cares about those who are hurting, those who are lowly, those who are hungry, those who are needy, not those who have position and wealth. But the world around us, right, it's impressed by those who are rich, by those who are powerful, those who are impressive, those who have position. And I've noticed as I've looked around and seen what's on TV and so forth, I have never seen a show called lifestyles of the poor and nameless I think if Jesus were to have a show that's what he would have (laughs) I've never seen a list publicized from money magazine or wherever of the ten poorest people in America see the world is not impressed by the lowly but what Mary learned from Christmas from the incarnation when God chose her is that God is impressed with the lowly, the needy. All he's looking for is those who know their need and are willing to fear him, is what she says, those who are willing to depend on him, to turn to him and cling to him as their very life. Even in the church, we become consumed by wealth and riches and power. But Christmas should be a reminder forever that God cares about the nobodies, the lowly, the needy of the world. In 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul writes, For consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. And Mary says here God loves to reverse the fortunes of men. Those who are arrogant push themselves to the top. The Howard Hughes's the, the wealthy people the powerful people of life he loves to bring them down. But the lowly the hungry, the needy, those who are hurting, he reaches down through the hole in the roof to grab and to raise into his very presence. When Jesus chose to be born to a lowly 15-year-old teenage peasant nobody girl, it was proof forever that God identifies with the lowly, the hungry, wherever they are. No one is too low for God's mercy. None of you too far gone. All he's looking for is an open heart that says, I need you. I need you. And he reaches down with his mercy and works miracles. Maybe he doesn't change the circumstances, but maybe he gives that person a heart that can be content even in the midst of their struggle. He gives them perseverance He gives them his presence. He gives them life as we turn to him. So Mary learned from the incarnation that God cares for the lowly. And then finally, the third great truth she learned was that the incarnation was proof forever that God keeps his promises, that God is faithful. Verses 54 and 55. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary remembers the promises of God. That a Messiah would come. The promises that began thousands of years before when God came to Adam and Eve and said, From your seed will come one that will crush the serpent's head, Eve. The promise that came to Abraham, that from your seed, Abraham, your descendant, all nations of the world will be blessed. The promise that come to David, that one of your descendants, David, would be Messiah, who would come to save mankind and set all things right. Last week, Chris talked about Isaiah, whom God had spoken to as a prophet, to promise a child would come, unto us a son is given, who would be that wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. And Mary reminds herself of those promises, even though it had been 400 years since God had spoken through any prophet to Israel. There had been 400 silent years, they're called. And Israel had been waiting under oppression from the Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans waiting. Where's the Messiah? And God came and Mary said, this is proof forever that God keeps His promises. That He is faithful to His Word. He truly is a God of the Covenant. Every promise that God has made to you, He will keep. The promises of the Word. That He will give you strength to handle temptation. That He will give you the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That He will give you the adequacy you need to do whatever He's calling you to do. To love that difficult person. To... Continue to do what's right in the face of opposition and rejection. He's promised that that would be true and you can count based on Christmas that he will follow through on his promises. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. Even when you don't feel him there, Christmas is proof forever when he ripped that roof off and came down to become one of us. It's proof forever that he will never leave you or forsake you he's promised to come again and set all things right do you know where the tradition of a Christmas tree came from well as I understand it it came from Martin Luther one of the reformers in the 1500s they were celebrating Christmas and all the focus was on Jesus' first coming as a baby child and he thought you know God kept his promise when he came once. He's coming again. At Christmas time, we should remember he's coming again. We should remember his second coming. So he decorated a tree and said, let's make this tradition a reminder that not only did he come once, but he's coming again. And let Christmas always be a reminder that he will come and set all things right, that he keeps his promises. So Christmas can be a wonderful time to remember that. That he promised he would come once, he did, and he's promised he will come again, and he will. See, Mary viewed Christmas as proof of God's mercy because she knew the Old Testament. She learned that God is merciful, that, and she believed it was proof that God cared for her. It was proof that God cares for the lowly, and it was proof that God keeps his promises. When God disrupts your life, some of you have a life that's very disrupted right now. God has moved in and torn down some walls. You're struggling in relationships. Your roof has been ripped off. (laughs) Be encouraged by Mary to look at it from God's perspective and see it as proof that He loves you enough to move into your life and help you be all that He designed for you to be. He loves you enough to discipline you, to draw you into His very presence. He rips the roof off of our lives so we'll look up through the holes and see Him and see His hand reaching down in love to every one of us. And finally, let me encourage you this Christmas to see Christmas not just as a wonderful story that we celebrate and give presents and have fun and and all, but as proof forever that God loves you, that he is for you. No matter how lowly you are, he cares and has a special heart for the needy, the hurting, the lowly, you can never get too low for His mercy to reach you. And then finally, let Christmas be a reminder that God keeps His promises. It may not be in our timing, but He always keeps His promises. And Christmas, the baby in the manger, is proof of that. Let me encourage you this Christmas for all of us to not be consumers, but rather be like Mary to be worshipers, magnifiers of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, what a marvelous gift you have given that you yourself might disrupt this entire universe by becoming a lowly one like us. We praise you and we delight you in you that you took notice of us and you've proven your love for each one of us forever by Christmas Day. Lord, help us to worship you, to cling to you, to believe the truth and to cling to your promises, to truly be worshipers of you this Christmas season. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.